Hey guys, welcome to the third episode of the Brand Quest podcast. I'm John Lee. And I'm Allison Fortune. And today we're super excited to talk to you about Tony Robbins. This episode is going to be all about how to build a coaching brand, the power of gurus, the self-help industry, charisma, hypnotism, and more. Let's get started. about Tony Robbins, who is not my guru, and I do right. not want to be match made with Destiny again, Yeah, which will come up later here in, when we talk about his date with Destiny program. But I think the story starts back when he left his home at 17. Yes. So according to the story and all of the related information we could find, at 17, Tony Robbins was working as a janitor, and he decided to take his whole week of pay, $35, and sign up for a Jim Rohn seminar. Jim Rohn was one of the first kind of superstars in the self-help industry. If you go back, the self-help industry really started around the Great Depression. It got more popular in the 50s and 60s with books like How to Win Friends and Influence People, The Power of Positive Thinking by Norman Peale, and then people like Jim Rohn, yeah. Chicken Soup for the Soul, had, yes. all that kind of stuff. And then Tony Robbins in the 80s, starts to emerge as the dominant life coach, mm -hmm. guru, personal development teacher, whatever you want to call it. So in the 80s is when Tony Robbins really starts to become a cultural phenomenon. 1984, he releases his book, Unleash the Power Within, and starts teaching modeling and NLP, as well as this alkaline-based diet. Those were kind of his first three teachings. And the first thing he really starts to teach talk about is modeling. And modeling is a concept that the entire coaching industry has been built on. If you're listening to this, chances are you've heard someone say something like what one man can do, another man can do, or the fastest way to discover how to do something is to find someone who's already done it and model them. That all comes from modeling, neuro-linguistic programming, and Tony Robbins in the 80s. And so... Tony Robbins decides to partner up with one of the creators of neuro-linguistic programming. And neuro-linguistic programming is kind of a weird way of using language. It's been billed as ways of using language patterns to reframe your brain. It's been billed as hypnosis. In the early 90s, a guy named Ross Jeffries started a company called Speed Seduction, where he offered to use these neuro-linguistic programs to help you hypnotize women into bed. It's also been used in a lot of self-help. I actually had a master's prac in NLP like 10, 15 years ago. I've gone through a lot of the kind of like reframing. I read all the original Bandler and Grinder books. NLP is interesting. There's some good stuff in there. I personally found it more helpful using it on yourself the way Tony Robbins does than using it on other people and kind of using language patterns or hypnosis to get them to go along with that. But Tony Robbins is still using a lot of NLP. And... It's worthy to note that a lot of people don't know. People know about his NLP. People don't know that he is a hypnotist mm -hmm. openly about it. He, in the 80s, studied Ericksonian hypnosis. And the way that that works is kind of the same way that stage comedian hypnotists will hypnotize somebody. They're using patterns of speech. They are quite literally in in the documentary you watched about him. He is quite literally in front of the entire audience hypnotizing people consistently. And this started in his career in the 80s. Yeah. And so this is kind of a thing that Tony Robbins is going to come up again and again. As Tony pivots from different teaching styles and different systems or technologies, he's going to really keep the NLP and the hypnosis. We actually just rewatched the 2016 documentary, I Am Not Your Guru. And I had watched it before Allison hadn't watched it. And Allison obviously is more 
adept at hypnosis than me, and I didn't really notice how much he was hypnotizing people until we rewatched it yesterday, mm -hmm. and it's really noticeable and significant. From Unlock the Power Within, Unleash the Power Within, he starts then to become one of the first celebrities to get into the infomercial market. And yes. so this happens in 1988, mm -hmm. and so I'm 36. This infomercial has literally been running every day of my life, right? It's still running today. Uh, it's never really gone off the air. It usually airs like between midnight and 3 a.m., Mm -hmm. but it's been on my entire life because this infomercial is the most successful infomercial in the history of infomercials. And one thing I think is interesting to note, and this goes to networking and kind of working with the best people in the industry, Tony Robbins' infomercial was actually created by the Gunthy Renker Company. And you might not know what that is, but I guarantee you've heard of their main flagship product, which is Proactive Face Wash. Yeah. Another one of the longest running infomercials in the world. That one's been running since 1985. Yes. And, you know, it's interesting about the networking and celebrity bringing in of all of this, because before Kylie had her skincare line, Kylie Jenner was one of the people that talked proactive. about yep. proactive. Yeah. Gunthy Wrecker actually has their own celebrity sub-brand, and Tony Robbins is the main person on that brand. But they've used a lot of influence marketing. Even before it was called influence marketing, they were using a lot of celebrities and infomercials, QVC type stuff. Yeah. They've really been the pipeline from people teaching information products into the infomercial world. And infomercials are incredibly powerful, right? People wonder like who buys those things, but infomercials are really expensive to produce and run. So they would not be running these things if they weren't massively popular and massively profitable for the last 30 something years. Yes. So Tony Robbins shows what will be kind of a hallmark of his style, which is that he's an early adopter of different types of technology, right? He gets in on the infomercial trend early. Later on, he'll jump in on the social media trend, the leadership academy, yep. the, the group trainings, the mm -hmm. destination seminars. All of these things are things that he'll add as he learns about them because Tony Robbins is very opportunistic in adding new tools and new promotional technologies to his brand, which is something that we should all be doing. So he also started out as somebody that was kind of known as more of a Christian influencer. As he has developed his style, he has lost this Christian influence as much because it's not as mainstream. And really to go back, all of the people that he learned from were mostly in this kind of wholesome yes. Christian market. He had to take those lessons and he flipped them, turned them around, moved into claiming he was Buddhist for a while. Yeah. He uses law of attraction philosophy, which also can be called hermeticism. And I can talk a lot more about that on our Patreon page. But it's interesting to note that his beliefs adjust with the trends just yes. as much as his technology has. Yeah. I mean, I think you don't have a 30 plus year career in anything without adjusting and being willing to jump on whatever the market is telling you. Right. I mean, I think if you look at, he's even changed the names of this. Cause I've been to, I went to one of his like $99, like pitch fest seminars, maybe 10 years ago, 12 years ago, 2007, eight, somewhere around there out by the airport in LAX. Now this is not an accurate really assessment of what he teaches because it is a pitch fest. It's 99 yeah, bucks. It's You're going to see a, a lot of speakers. Mm -hmm. But the thing I really noticed then was before that he was really into the NLP, the reframing, the kind of becoming powerful. That was the thing, like become confident, become powerful, unleash the power within you, unlock the giant within you. Awaken the giant, yeah. Right, mm -hmm. and in 2007 or eight, there was a real shift in what he was doing towards everything being this concept of self-love. And I yes. think you see that in the I Am Not Your Guru documentary. Mm -hmm. And also uh, Noah Kagan, who runs AppSumo, he has an interesting review of his time at Date with Destiny, which he actually walked out on and asked for a refund. And Tony Robbins is a client of AppSumo. So 
that's kind of interesting. But he basically said that the thing that really turned him off was the constant state pumping and the constant hypnosis tactics that are being used. And that was the same thing that turned me off. In 2008, I was like, I don't need to clap. I don't need to talk to my neighbor every five minutes. I don't need to jump up and dance around. I don't need to scream. I don't need to like tell my deepest, darkest secrets to a room full of strangers. And that really was the trend that he started to go to. And I think you can see that a lot in I Am Not Your Guru. Yes. So state pumping is really the idea of changing the energy of the room and filling it with emotion in order to change the outcome of the situation. So that would be like having an argument with somebody just telling you to be happy, right? right. Oh, you're depressed. Just be happy. Just be happy. And then them like clapping and high-fiving you. See, now you're happy, right? That's the state pumping. It's not giving it's, a solution. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's engaging what's called state-based learning. So when mm -hmm. we used to teach pickup, and we would take men out to bars and clubs, we, we used to do a lot of this because we wanted to get them warmed up and comfortable making bold, outrageous things to go and approach women. So we would have them pump their state. We'd have them do push-ups in the middle of a dance floor. We'd have them scream animal noises. We'd have them go spin around in the circle, right? You do stuff that like gets you outside of your comfort zone, and that triggers the state-based learning. But the problem is that the learning occurs in that state. And so when you're out of that state, you don't actually retain it. And that's really my problem with state pump. Kind of a Band-Aid on a bullet wound because you're not actually fixing anything. You're only just putting yourself into an emotional state. And you can see this with Tony Robbins, right? He's constantly pumping his own state. In that documentary, he talks about it a lot, right? He, he does the ice baths. He does the scream therapy. He, he bounces up and down on a trampoline. They've even had to reinforce the stage because he jumps around yes, so much. He yes. He's he's a giant guy. If you've never seen yes. him, he's like 6'8 or 6'9, yep. built like a refrigerator. He has to do a lot to get himself to get that energy level. Right. So And, and I think I think he almost does himself a disservice here. Mm -hmm. Because to me, like he always talks about how he's passionate about it and he just loves helping so much. But if you look at it, he's really grinding. And I think that by not acknowledging the work and just talking about his passion and how much he loves it, he's actually underselling himself. Like to me, I love Tom Cruise movies. Tom oh, yeah. Cruise movies are my favorite genre of movie. And the reason is because Tom Cruise always shows up. You will not, you can't find a Tom Cruise movie in his 40 year history now where he phoned it in. He doesn't phone it in. You hire Tom Cruise, you get Tom Cruise. He shows up. He goes hard. In fact, you can see this in Rock of Ages. Rock of Ages is a pretty bad movie. And it's this singing movie. It's like, yeah, it's kind of like Detroit Rock City. It's a bunch of people singing. Juliana Howe's in it. And none of them are really taking it very seriously. Like Everyone's phoning this movie in for the first 45 minutes or so. And then Tom Cruise shows up as this like old rock star. And immediately through like force of will and him just going so much harder than everyone else, the entire movie ups their game. Like the movie gets markedly to. better because otherwise Tom Cruise is going to embarrass you on screen by how hard he's trying versus how not hard you're trying. And I think Tony Robbins works really hard to be in this state. So for him to just say, like, it's just my passion, I just care so much, and not go into the actual work that it takes to be in the state, to be confident, to be outgoing, extroverted, and do all this stuff undermines, I think, the work that it takes and presents a little bit of a false reality because you're never going to be in state all the time. This was one of the things when we used to teach pickup. Guys would be like, once I like talk to three or four girls, I get warmed up and I'm in state and then I feel great. Why can't I be like that all the time? And I'd always be like... You're never going to be like that all the time, man. It's always going to be a process to get back to that, right? Because yeah. you always have to get yourself to that state. Yeah. So this idea of being in this state all the time, he's always hustling. We see this and we see a lot of other people that we talk about embody this, yes. always be hustling. Unlike Travis right. Kalanick, he's always hustling. It's interesting. Tony Robbins, if he really cared about helping everybody all the time, 
how come he's only hustling when it makes him money? He's only really doing the hustle when he's getting that in the pocket, stacking his pennies. And so this is, to me, this is like an issue in the larger coaching community, mm -hmm. right? And I think, let's talk about coaching as a job and as an industry right now, because I think this is a nice segue. And we're at the point where Tony Robbins is establishing himself in his career yes. as a life coach. So the first thing I always note when I talk about life coaching and coaching in general, is there's no barriers to entry. None. Right? Tony Robbins is not a certified hypnotist. I mean, he's a hypnotist, but he's not a I'm certified, certified. He's not a certified psychologist. Mm -hmm. He's not a certified counselor. He's got no real academic certifications or qualifications for any of the stuff he's doing, and neither do most life coaches, right? Most health coaches. If you look at personal trainers, personal trainers require a lot more certification than any sort of health coach that you'll see, right? Like the kind of dumpy guys you see at 24 Hour Fitness had to go through much more certification than some guy who's selling an ebook on fitness. Right. And a lot of coaches will tell you, oh, well, I got certified by this body or this body. Well, those bodies are just hustles to Correct. get money because they're coaching coaches. Really malign digital marketer. But if you put digital marketer certification on your job application, no job is going to care about that. No. Right. That's not a certification that's going to really help you anywhere other than in the industry where people know what digital marketer is. They might care about that. But like the average, try to go get a job with just a digital marketer certification in marketing. And you're not going to be able to do that without a degree or, you know, some sort of academic qualifications. That's not to say that these certifications are useless. I'm certified by ad skills. I've done Google certifications. None of these like really help you, but they, they help you through learning. The knowledge that you get is helpful, but the actual certificate itself is really just kind of a piece of paper right. with those yes things. that's the thing to remember whether you're getting coaching or you're going to be a coach there are no barriers to entry which means that you need to be able to justify what you're charging and have some sort of way to justify the the fact that you're coaching otherwise we get what allison just mentioned which is coaches coaching coaches mm -hmm. on how to coach coaches yes and that happens so much. This comes with the brand. What problem are you solving? How is it unique? And why are you uniquely able to solve it? You can find kind of those questions in our seven day startup workbook that we talk about where you build your brand in seven days. Yeah. And I mean, I think that like there is value to coaching, right? I think Absolutely. that at a very base level, the, the first thing that you get is accountability. For most people, we need some sort of accountability, whether it's an accountability buddy or a coach, we kind of almost all need someone to be like, do the thing you say you're going to do. Another thing that helps with coaching is actual expertise. Coaching in itself is not necessarily a value add outside of accountability, but if the coach is a legitimate expert or the coach has created amazing results in their own business, then that could be something that's very valuable. And I think if you're looking for coaches, one thing to look at is what has this coach done in their own life? You want to get a coach to help you make money online. Has this coach made money online themselves? Because if they haven't, then that's a real clear sign that they're probably not qualified. Has their money only been made through coaching yes. other people? That was the caveat I was yes. going to Right. Have they been able to make money selling a product or doing ads or whatever their mm -hmm. kind of like superpower or niche is? Have they been profitable with that besides selling coaching? Or have they only made money selling coaching? Because right. that's a big differentiator. Let's talk about being a coach. Yes. So the first thing you need to do in order to be a coach, I think, is to be able to answer, why are you qualified? Right? Yes. And if you are currently coaching and your answer is, oh, well, uh, then that says something about your brand. You should be able to answer why you're qualified to be a coach on anything you're coaching, consulting, Anything you're really teaching, there should be a real easy, concise way for you to answer why you're qualified to do that, right? Allison spent $110 million on ads. 
I've been working online since 2004 and have sold $50 million of products, right? These are things that make us qualify. You have to be able to answer that question. And to his credit, I think Tony Robbins does answer that question because he has successfully coached a lot of people. A lot of social proof for him, yes. right? He's coached presidents like Bill mm -hmm. Clinton. Nelson Mandela. Yes, he's coached- Mark Benioff of Salesforce. Some really uh, interesting, and people from a lot of different Mikhail walks Gorbachev. of life. Tony Robbins, I think, does name drop these people kind of a lot, maybe a bit too much. It's a little off-putting to me personally. I do think that that social proof is very, very important, right? Yes. And that those testimonials carry weight. A testimonial from Bill Clinton carries more power than a testimonial from Joe the Plumber. Right. While I think he goes a little overboard, Tony Robbins really gives you his resume a lot. And I think that's something that as a coach or someone building a coaching brand, you need to be able to give people your resume so you can say, here's what I've done. This is why you should listen to me. One concept I really love, I forget where I got it, is that anytime you're doing any sort of business brand building or communicating with potential customers, you want to tune into what's called WIIFM. And what that stands for is what's in it for me. Your potential customers don't really care, other than knowing that you're qualified and you're not some like idiot, they don't really care that much about your life. You don't need to do all this like storytelling and like bonding stuff that a lot of coaches do. What they care about is what's in it for them. What yes. are they gonna get? You don't care how many companies I've worked with. You care that I went to Harvard, I sold $100 million in ads in 10 years, and now I'm going to teach you how to turn your ads into money. Right. And I think Tony Robbins does a really good job of this. What's in it for you? You're going to learn how to change your entire life. You're yes. going to learn to get the number one thing that you want. You're going to learn the question that's going to change your life. While he does name drop and do the social proof and give you the resume, he also keeps attuned to that WWIFM, which is what's in it for you. What's in it for your audience? As Tony's business grows, now we're in the 90s, he starts to run into trouble. Couple of, couple of couple things. Couple of things. Yeah. So 1995, he ends up getting in trouble with the FTC yes. for violating the franchise code. Now, here's how this works. Tony has other people under him that he has trained and certified as people who can give his program. Right. However... In the 90s, he was teaching these people to have their own conferences built under his name, and he was not paying them the same way he was getting paid for the privilege. He was also not disclosing to consumers that it wasn't him speaking and that these were other people that were not getting paid the same way. Right. Which and this is actually a pretty common thing in the coaching business. If you look at, in my career, when I worked for the Mystery Method company, in the beginning, the Mystery Method was Mystery, the, the pickup artist who had a show on VH1, right? And then we were able to make this change into a franchise where we slid him out and other coaches in. But there was some friction, and we had to make it very clear that Mystery was not going to be attending these seminars. That it, while it was the Mystery Method, it's going to be taught by X person. And that's really what Tony Robbins was, was failing to do. So people were yes. kind of confused. It was a little bit of a bait and switch. They would think they were getting a Tony Robbins mm -hmm. seminar, and then they would get one of his coaches, which generally isn't as good, right? I mean, I think that, like, as someone who's gone through coaching, as someone who's been a coach, I think that the, the downgrade from the main person to the secondary coach is usually pretty big and generally not something you want to do. And he was certifying these people by the hundreds. These were not, they've gone through years and years of training. These were people in the hundreds yeah. that had run smaller groups at his larger conferences. And he said, okay, you go run a conference over here. And so he got in trouble for these franchise rules to the point where in 1995, he had to pay out $221,260 in fees 
for his lack of you know proper franchising. Yeah. And that's kind of like, I think a lot of people in coaching want to get into that. I know in the dating and pickup coaching scene, that was a thing. Everyone was yes. trying to get apprentice coaches so that you could farm out the work and keep half the money. Which is a good way to actually scale your coaching business. And we'll talk about it a little later in our takeaways. The right way to do this. However, Tony learned the wrong yeah. way. Yeah. And again, like the certification process was really fast, right? Mm -hmm. Like he was certifying people on weekends, which doesn't yes. really work. In 2001, Tony Robbins remarries to his yes. current wife. Yes. And then he also ends up suing the Vancouver Sun in 2001 for defamation because they called him, quote, an adulterous, wife-stealing hypocrite, end quote. So he ends up winning that lawsuit, gets 20 k plus legal fees. $20,000 is similar to Kim Kardashian's first wedding settlement. It's just go-away money, right? He's not actually getting damages. He's not getting a major settlement. He won... But this is, you know, Canadian court. It's a little different and it's only $20,000. Also, it's 2001. Yes. The atmosphere for celebrity gossip and kind of sordid tales is a little bit different in 2001 mm -hmm. than it's going to be in 2019 when Tony Robbins again tries to sue someone for slander and libel and it doesn't go so well for him. He's in another legal, another settlement, legal settlement with a guy named Wade Cook over the Money Making Secrets book. So this one gets settled out of, or initially this well, one gets settled. Yes. yes. So it's a copyright claim. Wade is saying that you stole my methods, you stole my book, and sues him. This goes to trial at first. The jury awards Wade $655,900 openly in court. Tony's team appeals it and then settles out of court in order to get the non-disclosure agreements hooked in there. We don't know exactly how much, but it was at least $655,900, but likely a lot more to get that non-disclosure agreement. Right. And again, let's look at what the claim was in this. The claim was that Tony Robbins stole someone else's stuff and taught it as his own. And so back to the idea of coaching, there is always going to be some sort of derivative coaching. I personally try to name drop whoever I'm teaching these concepts. I think you'll hear me mention Justin Brooke and ad skills a lot, because mm -hmm. anytime I'm doing ads or market research, I learned a lot of that stuff from them. Noah so I try Kagan, to, we talk about, mm -hmm. yeah. Noah Kagan, Dan Kennedy, you know, yeah. when I first got into direct marketing, I read all the Dan Kennedy No BS books. Yeah. So I try to be open about where I'm learning from, because mm -hmm. I think that there's nothing wrong with teaching stuff you learn from someone else. Tony Robbins had like credited him and not stolen it directly, which is what it appears he did. It appears he copied it word for word, right? Yes, you quite can't literally. Yeah. You can't just copy people's stuff word for word, right? You can't just take people's blog posts and copy and paste them and do stuff like that. But if you read something and there's some good points, you might want to bring that into your teaching. All you really need to do to avoid this problem is just mention where you learned it from. Yeah, that's it. That's it. It's not really super hard, mm -hmm. right? There's no rule that you can't teach other people's stuff. You just have to credit them and not act like you invented it. And that seems pretty easy, but if you're on Facebook you or any social media where content stealing is rampant, you'll see that there's a lot of people trying to launch brands on stolen content. There's another bit to this that's really interesting. There's this three parts of coaching that really makes money, and a lot of you coaches will know this. It's health, wealth, and relationships. Before this point, Tony was real into health. Yep. And really into relationships. Yep. This book that he was sued for was his first real foray into getting into the money market and telling people how to spend their money and use their money. It appears to be that he used these concepts to create his wealth teaching platform. I mean, if he only had to pay $600,000, those wealth courses have grossed way more than him. This is kind of another one of those Uber Facebook mm -hmm. style speeding tickets where... 
Yeah, he got caught, but he probably ended up making a lot more money off of that than right. he ended up and getting fined. And most people have no idea that this happened. Right. And so he went on to continue to release books about wealth, yep. about wealth building. Money and, mastery. Yes. Mm -hmm. And really kind of nudge that into being the next part of his products. So now he's got every part of somebody's life that he can he's monetized. Okay, but let's talk a little bit about this Tony Robbins triangle because it becomes a little shaky pretty quickly. So the first thing, let's talk about health. So in 1984, he puts out this book with this alkaline-based diet. Mm -hmm. He also then wrecks his stomach to Ooh. the point of having like major health problems. Recently, he went on the Tim Ferriss show and he admitted that he actually got mercury poisoning. Not only admitted, but he was surprised that he got mercury poisoning despite eating fish like tuna and salmon like three, four times a day. When I was 16, my mom told me not to eat so much tuna when I started working out because of mercury poisoning. So also going on the Tim Ferriss show, the guy who's the butter in your coffee every morning right. guy and being like, I was surprised that this body hack didn't work is like a real weird read of the audience. Yeah, and I think uh, that um, Tony Robbins has been doing this body hacking thing for forever, and he's like really messed his health up. Like you can Google it, because I don't want to get too much into his personal health stuff, but he's had a lot of health issues, and they often come right after he gets a brand new system for health for working out or diet or this, that, or the other, and he's sworn off a bunch of those systems. He ended up disavowing that acid-based alkaline diet. He's disavowed a bunch of other diets. I think he was even on that all-meat diet for a minute. But that's after he will pitch them on stage on day two, his right. health day, and sell some. And this is where it gets it. a little iffy. If you want a body hack and like mess your own health up, go for it. We're Americans. It is your natural God-given right to stuff your body with whatever you want to stuff into it. But if you're going to make money from teaching this stuff and you're going to present yourself as an expert, you actually do have a responsibility to not give out this bad advice. Let's go, let's go back because I want to do, sure. do wealth and relationships too. Yes. Right? Because okay. I know you have looked in a lot of his wealth building mm -hmm. ideas and they don't really stand up that okay. well either. So we'll get into this real fast. By training, I am an analytics person. I have a grad certification from Harvard in analytics. And so I care about money kind of a lot. I've been doing money stuff for lots of big companies and smaller companies, and I've done a lot of accounting courses, all kinds of things. Now, when you dive into the kinds of stock and basic just money management tips that Tony is giving, and you can Google this, the first things you're gonna see are that some of them are just straight up illegal. The next thing you're gonna see is that there are case study after case study after case study of people like me who know how to manage money following exactly what he says step by step and losing money, like net loss, from doing exactly what he says that will change your life, make you more money, make you the master of your money. Well, yeah, you're learning how to move your money around, but you're losing money in the process. Tony Robbins was already rich when he started teaching mm -hmm. people how to make money. And Tony Robbins is in a bunch of different ventures, right? He's a part owner of the LA Galaxy soccer team, right? Mm -hmm. He owns a resort in Fiji. These are not the things that he's teaching in oh. his wealth management courses. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, I want to just touch on relationship. Robbins has been divorced a couple times. Yes, um, at least two. At least twice. That we know. Right? He also has been credibly accused of infidelity by dozens of women mm -hmm. uh, who were his students, which... I taught yoga at Yoga Works 10 years ago, and they explicitly told us that you are not allowed to have any sort of sexual relationship with your students and that doing that would be grounds for termination. And that's 
yoga, which is not, I mean, so maybe you're a little bit of a guru to people, but it's a lot less than when you're on stage in front of like 10,000 people and when you're hypnotizing them held up as a life guru. Right. And Tony Robbins also in 2019 was accused credibly of sexual assault of a minor in 1985 with a BuzzFeed article with two direct eyewitnesses. For someone who's had those kind of accusations to be giving relationship advice is interesting, to say the least. Well, and if we just go back to the 80s real quick for a minute here. In 1984, he got married to one woman. In the same year, he welcomed a son from another woman. Yes. So saying that, you know, he might have cheated on somebody... Right. Uh, to be fair, like, I've been in the coaching world for a long time, and I think most coaches do this. Sure. Like, most celebrities do mo- this. Like, yeah, yeah. Basically, any man who's in a position of status who is is probably going to do some stuff like this. Is that where Bill Clinton learned it? He was Bill Clinton's coach. There's a lot of interesting parts of power and suppression that happen in these kinds of courts. And, and if you're listening internationally, the culture in America is very different when it comes to accusations and actually getting any legal action out of these kinds of accusations so sure he was not convicted or even charged that we know of in any way shape or form however he's been accused not once at least twice probably a lot more than that these are just the mentions that we could find that are publicly still available and i think one of the things that like doesn't really help him is in that i am not your guru he seems to single out young, unsure of themselves women kind of a lot. Well, this is one of his tactics. On one of the first days, he needs to find at least a couple people in the audience that he can use and change their story in order to make sure that his story and manipulation of the truth is what everybody else is perceiving to be real. So, and this is like, this is a really good behind the scenes piece of thing for coaching. If you ever want to throw your own seminars or events, all those things that seem spontaneous are not. Not at all. And you can see this in I Am Not Your Guru, right? They have a whole team identifying people with stories. They're looking for people who might be potential threats to themselves. They're looking for people who have traumatic stories. And then Tony's going to call on them at certain points of the seminar in order to kind of engage these emotional stories that will then pump the state of the rest of the audience. So all those kind of like reveals and like deep emotional stories that you have happen at these Tony Robbins things are not spontaneous. Not at all. And that's not a bad thing. Okay, it's time for our coffee break, where we take a break from our overall larger discussion topic of Tony Robbins to discuss some things that are happening around the internet today. So my coffee break subject is the cancellation of the Dan Lebetard show on ESPN. I have been listening to Dan Lebetard on ESPN since 2013, Monday through Friday for two hours. Uh, This has been happening since ESPN brought in the new boss, Jimmy Pitaro. The Dan Lebetard show is goofy. It's a show that's not about sports on a sports network. Um, It's very inside jokes. It's very much a clown car or circus to nowhere, as they like to call it. I also think it's the best thing that's been on radio for the last 10 years. It consistently makes me laugh. I feel like I know all of those people, even though they're strangers. And just watching the outpouring of support from other ESPN 
people today who Dan Levitard really brought a lot of diversity. He was the person who brought Bomani Jones, who's one of my favorite ESPN personality, Nina Kimes, Pablo Torre, all of the really like smart young talent at ESPN came through the show and got to kind of goof around. And really he created something that was so outside of the box and so fun and, and the audience loves, right? I mean, Levitard show people are more into the show than anything I've ever seen. 20 million downloads a day speaks to it, but also speaks to the fact that success is often not enough, right? It's the number one rated show podcast download on ESPN, but Dan has had some insubordination issues with the new general manager of ESPN, Jimmy Pitaro. Jimmy Pitaro doesn't get the show. James Miller, who was the previous CEO, was a good friend of Dan's and cut him a lot of leeway and new boss ain't like the old boss. Mm -hmm. I've listened to talk radio and podcasts and radio stations my whole life. I used to listen to the Phil Henley show when I was a kid to go to sleep. And yeah, there's just something about the relationship that you have with a radio show, a talk radio show that just is different than any other media. And it sucks, man. And I know that they're going to get their own network and it's going to be better for them and everything. But man, I'm going to miss that show. And today has just been a sad day. Well, that's sad. It is. Yeah, I'm going to follow that up with something a little more lighthearted because, you know, I'm just annoyed today. I'm not really uh, sad about things. I want to talk about people who own groups or our moderators in rooms. You mentioned Bomani. He's the current face of Clubhouse, the Clubhouse app right now. Followed him on Clubhouse. If you don't know what Clubhouse is, it's a new social media app. I host rooms in there every week about Facebook ads and business growth. But that is not the point. The Bomani point is a genius. My yes. religion is basically whatever Bomani says. Mm-hmm. As long as your religion is not the ocean. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so my big issue is... People who are running groups on Facebook or running groups on Clubhouse are not always qualified. In fact, I have not found very many qualified people talking about what they think they're talking about. There are a lot of coaches on Facebook that have these women entrepreneur groups and they themselves have not been that successful. They're trying to teach you how to make a million dollars. They have not made a million dollars in their entire career put together. Talk about the seminars. Absolutely. Tony is really like the king of the seminar, right? Date with Destiny is his six-day, $5,000 kind of flagship. Not entry-level, because he does those like $99 ones, and you can also buy products, but it's kind of it's kind of the first flagship course of the Tony Robbins brand, right? You go, there's days on relationships, there's days on money, there's days on health, nutrition, all that stuff, and you're going to get your big breakthrough. This is $5,000 just to attend the conference, right. not to deal with all of the rest of Airfare, the travel. Airfare, hotels, food, any cabs, of that. all that stuff. I mean, you're talking probably $7,500 minimum, right. um, probably closer to ten grand though for most people. Just to be allowed to sit in the room and be cold and nigh tortured. And that's the base level because yes. as you'll see... As with all seminars, there's going to be some segmentation, mm-hmm. obvious segmentation by level of each group and yes. who paid more money. And the people who paid more money get more time. They get mentioned on stage they more. They get better people. They get better, they they get better seats. Yep. Um, they, they walk around and are walking testimonials. They do panels. They often will be part of the seminar where they'll come up and tell their story. Mm-hmm. And so this is kind of a really nice self-feedback loop. $15,000, you're part of the VIP group or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that means you get a dinner with Tony, you get to take pictures, you get special seats, you get some cocktail receptions, you get to eat dinner with like the team, stuff like that. But also you get a nice little, I believe it was either purple or blue bandana 
that you wear through the whole seminar that identifies you as one of the special higher value people. And this hierarchy is really important for any seminar. So if you are a coach planning on throwing events, creating these hierarchies is not just some like psychological manipulation. This is a really effective tactic. Jeff Walker uses this at his launch con. Mm -hmm. Lisa Sasevich uses this at her events, speak to sell. Everyone who does really good stage selling uses these, these techniques because these hierarchies are doing a lot of really good psychological lifting. They're aspirational, right? People yes. can go, I want to be that person. Next year, I'm going to come back and I'm going to get the $15,000 membership, mm-hmm. right? They're fun. It looks like they're all having a lot of fun. I remember when I went to Jeff Walker's LaunchCon in 2018, his group comes up and they do like a whole panel And they were talking about how it's really competitive and fun and how they're all trying to basically like best each other and make more money. And it was a really powerful psychological manipulation to join this group because it was like, look, everyone in here is making millions of dollars. They're driving each other to be even better, right? Like who wouldn't want to be a part of that? Mm -hmm. And so Tony really invented that. And he does the whole segmentation with the bandanas and multiple levels. So if you were doing seminars you want to make sure to offer multiple levels, even if no one buys them, right? One trick we used to do when we ran seminars is called the squeeze. And so with the squeeze, you're going to have three pricing levels, but really you're trying to drive everyone to the middle option. So let's say your first option is like a thousand bucks and that's just basic seminar, no fancy things, right? Then your top option might be 10,000 bucks and it might have like one-on-one coaching, a half day on site, a bunch of really cool stuff, but it's also crazy expensive. Right. So if someone buys that, great, but you're not really trying to sell that. What you're trying to do is force people into that middle option, which is going to maybe be Mm $5,000. And on that $5,000 option, you're going to get half of what you get at the $10,000 option, which is going to be way more than that middle option. And so that's going to psychologically make people choose the middle option rather than the lowest option. Restaurants do this all the time, too, with um, different sizes of meat cuts. Right. They're trying to make that expensive one prohibitive. They're trying to make... The small one just not seem great, and they're trying to push you into the middle option. Yeah, and now with streaming, the new low price offer is the streaming offer. For $99 bucks or 100 bucks, you can watch on your computer. Yep. For 1000 bucks, you can come in person. For 5000 bucks, you get the really good experience. Mm-hmm. And for 10000 bucks, you get the VIP super platinum experience, right? Yes. And psychologically, that's going to drive more people to the middle. And that's something that Tony Robbins has invented. Tony Robbins has really invented most of the coaching business. If you look at most coaches are doing some sort of Tony Robbins impersonation or using the tactics and techniques that he uses. Seminars are super long, right? He was the first person to really use this exhaustion method, like a second after Landmark, right? This is a Landmark forum tag. And Landmark is not quite a cult, but cult adjacent. Okay, a lot of Christian conferences use this as well on teenagers, which is like a whole different thing that we'll get into later. But the point of this is you're going six days. They schedule you literally from 6 a.m. to midnight with yep, one day. meal break. Mm-hmm. One yep. meal break. And it's an hour. Yes. And, and then you are literally moving and doing things every moment of yes. the day. You have six hours to sleep in between. You're doing yep. this for six days straight. Yep. As you lose sleep... And, oh, the rooms are also really, really really cold. cold. And it's really intense. If you've ever been in a seminar room, you've noticed that it's like 59 degrees. Mm -hmm. I literally got sick at LaunchCon in 2008 because the room was 59 degrees. And despite constant protestations, they would not change the temperature. It's a tactic that they're using to break down your mental defenses in order to get you to the big pitch at the end. Now, Tony adds in some special components to it, 
but the every con is going to be the same way. And why does this work? Because willpower is depletable. Mm -hmm. Because no matter what, you only have a finite amount of willpower. And being up and awake and active and doing stuff for 14 hours a day depletes your willpower. Not eating depletes mm -hmm. your willpower. Being cold depletes your willpower. All this of these is, things are designed to break down those objections and resistance to the pitch when it comes. It is literally the interrogation tactic that every government in the world yep. uses. You're kind of being put through low-level torture yeah. for this entire week and you're paying $5,000 for So if you ever wondered it. why you're like so exhausted and miserable feeling in the middle of a seminar, that's why. It's intentional. It's, it's intentional. not an accident. Mm -hmm. Right? You're not being weak or weird or anything like that. You are having the reaction that they are attempting to drive you into. Oh, but Tony specifically calls this out that if you're feeling this way, it's because you're on the verge of right. transformation. Yes. Right? This is what happens to you as you're just getting ready to transform. And you're going to hit that transformation on day six, transformation day, also the day that you're going to be pitched that $10,000, $15,000, $50,000 product. These things are very exhausting. If you've ever been to any like marketing seminar that is based on these things, they're exhausting, right? And so like the, the point is the exhaustion because as you break down, you become more suggestible. And that whole thing that Allison just talked about is what's called an inoculation. Let's say you've watched or listened to our podcast and you know that these tactics are happening, but you're still there and you still want to buy in. So Tony's going to pre-frame these things to inoculate you and say, no, you're not exhausted. You're just right near a breakdown. You've got to break down to have the breakthrough. I believe mm -hmm. that's the exact wording he it's uses. Literally. Inoculation is, is what cold readers and psychics do. Not what they said that was wrong. It's a correction. It's not what you think, right? What I actually meant was, and that's like, my mom's a cold reader and a palm reader, and that's what they do, right? Like when you miss, you then go, oh, that's not quite what I mean. They call it reframing by content or reframing by time. You might be tired right now, but that breakthrough is coming, so don't give up. He just uses all of the trade craft is what they're called for cold reading and magician reframes when people acknowledge that they are getting exhausted or breaking down. And then he dangles that breakthrough because that's what you came for. You came for the breakthrough. So he dangles that breakthrough. You're almost there. Don't give up yet because if you give up now, you're not going to get what you want. Right. You can see him do this reframing in real time at the beginning mm -hmm. of I Am Not Your Guru, where he's talking to a young girl from Newport Beach. He calls up her mother and her mother corrects him and says, no, she yes. was never crawling for attention. He right. goes, oh, no, I didn't mean that. She's got a tiger inside yep. of her. So all of a sudden he's taking her character that he was trying to present as this meek, weak It's a full-on rainbow ruse because he goes mm -hmm. from one extreme to the other. It's um, quite yeah, dramatic. Yeah, like in the beginning he says, you know, like, you were always craving and chasing after his love. And then the mom goes, no, she'd like tell him she's, to go fuck himself. Yeah. And he goes, oh, no, that's not what I meant. Right. What I meant is she's got she's a tiger it. inside of her. And mm -hmm. you can see the actual reframe happen right away. Yes. And you can even see it on his face that he missed. We don't recommend doing that necessarily, yeah. but there are ways that you can use stories correctly in your brand that you can be prepared for. Yes. Yeah, I mean, storytelling is incredibly powerful. And I think, especially with NLP dropped into it, right? And Tony Robbins does a lot of storytelling in parable. He tells other people's stories. He tells stories about kids, he tells stories about clients, he tells stories about himself, mm -hmm. because stories are remembered 21 times more than facts. Yeah. Stories are the best way to teach people things, and that actually in our Ad Alchemy book, we talk about how to use story-based ads to sell your products. Now, the next thing that really happens is Tony gets in with Oprah, which is like the cha-ching moment for any guru, right? Oprah mm -hmm. has really launched more self-improvement and self-help gurus than anyone else. Deepak Chopra, 
Dr. Oz, Brendan Burchard, the guy who wrote The Power of Now, Eckhart Tolle, yep. right? All these people kind of came through Oprah. And so Tony becomes Oprah's personal coach. And then she decides to give him a TV show in 2010. Yes. But there's a problem. It's on NBC, and it only gets 2.8 million viewers. So yeah. it ends up getting canceled after two episodes. They filmed six episodes. They aired two, much like the Chris Jenner show. Yep. Because there just wasn't overall attention. Because... Even though Oprah has a self-help bent, people weren't necessarily all going to Oprah for a self-help. Like, people were going to Oprah for her. The self-help segmentation of that audience is probably around two and a half million, three million people, which is a giant audience. Like, we would love right. to have a two and a half million person audience, but it's not enough for a TV show. Right, no. especially on NBC, that they're no. going to be that's going to be costing them ten million dollars now. So Oprah actually again reinvents the show on her own network, OWN, and it goes on to air for a little bit. After that. Yes. Again, the power of networking. If, mm -hmm. if he's not in as good with Oprah, he doesn't get the show to begin with, and he definitely doesn't get it on her own network. So he gets yeah. two episodes, and that probably goes down as a failure, if not for his network. Yes. Yes. And this was 2010, and then in 2012, again, she features him in Life Class, Oprah's Life Class, mm -hmm. which is a big deal for him in his career. And that was only eight years ago, as he's already been in the business almost you know, a little over 30 years. Mm -hmm. Now he's getting these big breaks. So keep in mind at this point, he's entering his 60s. Yeah, he's 60 years old, born in 1960. I mean, to be who he is and influencing his target audience are right now millennials. He's teaching people how to manage their money. This is aimed at young adults. He's teaching people relationships. This is aimed at young adults. He's not targeting people in his- Demographic. At all. It also helps that he looks exactly the same. And has for 30 for years. For 30 years. I mean, yeah. it's literally exactly a little grayer. Can't really be Tony Robbins without being a giant, charismatic, good looking man, right? Yes. Like, I think that, like, we often forget that he's six foot seven, six foot eight. He's giant. We are a height supremacist nation. Something like 90% of CEOs are over six foot two. We really, as a country, worship height. The physical presence of height is powerful on people. He's also really big, right? He's not a skinny six foot seven, like a beanpole type dude. He's got a physical presence. He dwarfs people. Like when you see him stand next to people, he's giant. Yes. So that is powerful. He's got a great voice. His voice is amazing. It's booming. It's clear. It's present. It's warm. Unique. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. I mean, he's yep. got an amazing voice. He's very charismatic. He's got a natural talent for this that not everybody has. So we are not going to tell you, you can be the next Tony Robbins. Right. Because he does have something special. And he was to also, Jenner, and he was also kind special. of um, picked, right? Like Jim mm -hmm. Rohn recognized at 17 that there was some raw material here to yes. turn this into something good. He was very much a phenom in the self-improvement world because yes. he started really young. And by the time he was 26, he was a millionaire with a best-selling book. So yeah. he was precocious as well. And then unlike most precocious talents who end up burning out and not being able to sustain it, he's been able to take that precociousness and sustain it for 30 years, which is really amazing and worth studying. And I think something that makes him a valuable model for L coaches because the longevity is amazing. It really, really is. He's had a longer career in self-help than I think anybody else anyway. I can imagine besides maybe like Billy Graham who right. had a long career as well. And but Jack McCann, the Chicken Soup for the Soul guy, yes, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think those are the only two. Those, yeah, there's really... And both of them went real religious, right? And like both in of the them church, got, yes. Yeah, both of them were very mm -hmm. like religious, churchy, and yes. like, and also kind of focused on different models, right? Like no one's been out here selling seminars like Tony Robbins. Nobody. No one. These seminars have been running for like 20 plus years, three times a year. He's done 75 of these Date with Destinies. 
over yes. the last 25 years. Mm -hmm. That's a ton of these seminars with a ton of people. Just also the grind. This dude works hard. Yes. That's why I think that he does himself a disservice when he just talks about like the passion and how he just loves it because just love is not enough to get you to work this hard, man. You gotta really, you gotta really respect hard work and care about doing it because there's nothing that's gonna push you through this. He's really hustling hard and that hustle matters. You're going to have to work a lot. You're gonna have to work yes. long hours. You're gonna have to work hard. Yeah. And you're going to have to be talented in order to make it even close to what he yeah. has. Yeah, as much as he's putting people through the exhausting day, he's also putting himself through it. And he takes breaks and goes to the back to recharge and does his little, like, spirulina shakes and nootropics or whatnot. But still, man, he's he's on stage for most of that 14 hours a day, which is respectable. We've gotten to the point of the show where we like to talk about the takeaways yes. or the things that you can learn and take away to put into your business to get action similar to Tony Robbins' business. Yes. So my first big takeaway is to plan everything to work together from the seminar to the next seminar you need to take. One of the things that a lot of these businesses do, whether it's Landmark or Tony Robbins, is before you can even take the second more advanced seminar, you have to first take the basic seminar, right? And in these seminars, they'll even say that Date with Destiny only exists so you can go to the next one. And so everything works together. And that allows Tony to say things like, you know, my stuff really works best when you do it all together. My system is really comprehensive. So you want to study all of it. And that really allows you to boost your lifetime customer value because the more your stuff leads into the next product and the next thing, the first thing you do, you master yourself. That's date with destiny. Then you got to master money. So you got to go to money university. Then you got to master relationships. So you got to go to relationship mastery. Then you got to go to the next level where you go to the advanced seminar in Tahiti, where you stay at the resort that Tony Robbins owns while you go to the seminar that he is selling you and you do coaching with him that you're paying for. Yeah. So that's really important. If you're going to have a coaching brand, everything has to work with itself and build on itself. So make sure that you build that into your plans, even in the beginning, especially in your events. How does your pitch go with the rest of your content? You'll notice that Tony does a hypnotic induction right before the pitch. Mm -hmm. Lisa Sasevich does the most manipulative thing I've ever seen in my life where she has a custom video which has the life scene from Up followed by a bunch of her students having like these peak experiences. And so she gets you to go through your whole life right before she goes to the pitch. All of it has to work together. You don't want to go, here's my troubleshooting problems that you're going to run into. Now I'm going to pitch you. You want to make sure that everything flows to the next place and you can build that in from the beginning. Yes. And to build on that, we're going to talk about pricing a little bit. Pricing is something that you can absolutely learn as a coach from Tony. His lowest price offers, you have to pay him $99 just to have the opportunity for him to sell you something. So know that your information is valuable and it is worth money. You can start at a higher rate and coaching is kind of a high dollar, high value product. People expect to go into coaching programs looking at price tags that are four digits long. Hence his six day program being $5,000 and that's just to start. Not including airfare, not including, not including hotel. Understand your pricing and while you shouldn't be pricing out of your audience's range, for instance, if you are targeting single moms, this is probably not going to work so well for you. Probably target something within their range. Say, okay, come away for one day instead of a weekend so they don't have to hire a babysitter the whole time and price in the hundreds, not in the thousands because that's how you're going to get people in. Then you can move up from there and say, okay, one-on-one -on -one coaching, things like that. But know your funnel, because this is really a funnel that you're putting people through. You want a lot of people at the top. You want to funnel down into those people that you're going to make the most money from. Yep. And your pricing follows that line in line with your audience. Absolutely. 
My second takeaway is the use of symbols. We talk about this a lot. This is one of our kind of brand proprietary things, I feel like, but I feel like we're the only people talking about it. Tony uses symbols constantly. On the one day, he shows up in a black shirt with prayer beads on. Yes. On another day, he shows up in the white shirt. He throws up religious symbols. Mm -hmm. He uses all sorts of power animals like lions and stuff like that. He uses a lot of these power of positive thinking memes put on the projector behind him. So he's using the symbols that speak to his audience. And that is incredibly, incredibly powerful. So you want to know what symbols your audience reacts to, what symbols they're not into as well, right? Mm -hmm. Beyond just knowing the ones they like, know what they don't like so that you can use that as well. But symbols are incredibly powerful. Human beings are literally wired to respond to symbols. We've yes. been socialized over this for thousands of years. Look at religions, the cross, the star of David. All of these things have been hardwired into us. So you're really doing yourself a disservice if you're just communicating with words and not using symbols. Absolutely. So my next takeaway is particularly for the coaches out there, and this is to look at it, the scalable model. Coaching in general is not a scalable model, right? You have a lot of time investment that you are spending one-on-one -on -one or in small groups, and you need to know if you're going to build that seven or eight figure business, how to be able to scale this up, which means you're offering either certifications or larger group seminars, or you are finding a way to record and teach many more people at a time. So building a scalable model is going to be the key to your financial success as you grow your coaching business. And also the key to getting you out of the time for money trade. Yes. Right? One of the big pitfalls that I think a lot of people who become coaches successfully fall into is you got into starting your own business and your own coaching program to kind of have a lifestyle business and reclaim your time. Only now you've got a million dollar coaching business and you're doing coaching calls six to eight hours a day every day. So you want to be able to figure out a way early on to keep yourself out of that situation unless you really love coaching. I mean, if you want to do coaching calls six to eight hours a day and you don't care about scaling your business beyond a million dollars, then by all means, you know, go right. for it. But if you're trying to build a large eight figure business as a coach, then you're going to need to find ways to break yourself out of that business so that you can work on the business, not in the business. Yes. So that also leads into the next and probably the most important takeaway that we've learned from Tony Robbins. Yeah. And that is pivoting. I think if you look, we've kind of criticized Tony for pivoting a bit on the health stuff, but that's one of the keys to his longevity is he rides the trends. Tony Robbins got on social media much earlier than most gurus did. Mm -hmm. He was able to use that. Tony Robbins was on the TV thing before most people were on TV. Yes. Tony Robbins was in the Oprah celebrity book influencer circle before most people were. So he's really good at identifying those trends and then pivoting to them. And he's not afraid to throw away stuff he's already been teaching or look like he maybe is a bit of a hypocrite in order to pivot to a new business model. And I think that's really important because I know a lot of you listening to this might feel like, okay, I can't just pivot because I'm going to get judged. What are people going to say if I used to teach this one thing and now I'm saying I taught this other thing? The way to really get around that is that as you learn more information, you change your thing, right? So being humble enough to admit that you're still learning because we all are lifelong learners. And even if you are a guru or an expert or a coach, you can always learn more and don't be afraid to be a student and to pivot or to admit that you're wrong. I wish Tony would do a little more admitting he was wrong when he pivots, but the pivoting is a valuable tactical skill, especially for or the longevity of your business. Absolutely. And pivoting does not make you a hypocrite. And no. if people are judging you or saying that you should not have pivoted, 
Maybe it's time to look at your audience, who you were talking to and who you want to be talking to. Because while feedback is important, it's also important to be presenting the best and most ethical products. So don't feel like you have to be super consistent with what you taught before, especially if there's something better. Or don't feel like you can't teach something because it conflicts with what you already taught, mm -hmm. if it works. That's being a learner and being a person who's continually growing. And I think that's part of being a coach. You know what I used to tell people? Never ever use a like ad on Facebook. You do not need fans of your page, never use it. The last couple of years, every campaign that I've been running has started with boosted posts and page likes because that is a really low friction way to get people to get into your audience quickly. And that didn't used to be the no. case, but now it is. Right. So things change and learning and growing is really important. Okay, now we wanna talk about the things that you should be doing in order to implement some of these lessons from Tony Robbins. So the first one that I'm going to talk to you about is goal setting. As a coach, you're probably coaching people how to set their own goals, but you might not have been thinking about your goals for specifically your brand. So my first exercise for you is to sit down with a piece of paper and write the top three goals that you have for this year and share them with somebody so you have that accountability. Be specific, use numbers if you can, and set them in a way that you can break them down to achievable smaller goals as you go. And put a date on them. Absolutely. Because goals without dates are just dreams. Mm -hmm. My exercise is to build bridges between your product offerings. Now, right now you might be saying, but John, I only have one product. Okay, that's fine. Then I want you to start planning your next product and how you're going to create a bridge from your current product to your next product. That might be a little email that you send out after someone buys your first product saying, hey, if you liked this, why don't you check out that? It might be recording a little bit at the end of your first product where you say, now that you've gone through this product, you're ready to take on my second product, which you can find here or offering a small discount on it. But you want to build those bridges now, especially before you need them. It's even better to build these bridges before you even have a second product because then you're going to be able to seamlessly and frictionlessly add that product offering to your existing product and it'll move very smoothly and you'll up your lifetime value. Cool. Thank you guys for listening to the third episode of the Brand Quest podcast. Make sure that you set the subscription for our next episode, which will be dropping very soon. I'm John Lee. And I'm Allison Fortune. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you guys very soon.